so much for joining in guys episode 191 today with a very very special guest and probably the most important uh conversation i think i'm going to have on this podcast uh today is with uh, former australian cricket captain kim hughes now a lot of you uh born last century would remember kim uh magnificent cricketer really courageous player um great batsman uh, terrific captain, followed on from Greg Chappell, and a uh, really interesting era, you know, where what he went through uh, as a player, you know, playing against the likes of West Indies and Viv Richards and uh, England, Ian Botham, and all those uh, magnificent cricketers that were around back then, you know, and, um, uh, you know, Kim was one of the best. He was an amazing player, and, uh, you know, I guess more importantly, you know, what we're going to learn today is... Uh, you know, on the outside, uh, sometimes things always look good, but on the inside, they may not be uh, that way. So Kim, you know, although he's a great cricketer, you know, liked a beer. And uh, basically following his cricket career, um, you know, had some, some challenges with alcohol and only uh, came out of it about 18 months ago, um, sort of coming forward and, uh, and realising they had a real problem after a conversation with his son uh, to make him aware uh, of his issues. He was drinking in the morning and, um, you know, it's really reliant on alcohol. And I'm sure, you know, many people listening to this would have had some reliance on alcohol at some point in uh, time over their lives. So this is going to be a really um, insightful conversation with someone that's very well known. And I'm sure, um, you know, Kim um, will be able to give great insight into what he went through and how he sort of come out of it, which may help you. So, Really appreciate you uh, listening in. I hope you can share this uh, with others that might uh, find it helpful as well. Now, if you wouldn't mind, please, um, if you enjoy the podcast, if you would be grateful enough or kind enough to uh, to make a donation to the Outback Mind Foundation, we, we, rely, day, we rely on uh, donations primarily, and um, uh, we want to try and help more guys throughout regional Australia. Um, we need to be able to get out there and do the work, so... If you could spare a little bit of spare, spare change, I'd really appreciate it. Um, if you want to jump on the Outback Mind website, outbackmind.org.au, if you go to support us, you can see uh, some options there. Um, if you could help out, I'd really appreciate it. If you can't, that's fine, but uh, if you've got a little bit uh, to, to help us, it'll go a long way, so I really appreciate that. All right, appreciate your feedback with this conversation with Kim and I too, please, to support at outbackmind.com.au. G'day, Kim. How are you? Oh, well, thanks, Aaron. Great to be with you and hopefully uh, all of your listeners. Oh, thanks, mate. I I must, uh, I need to, to, to let you know something. I think you and Glenn are probably the, the most well-spoken men that I've ever met in my life. Jesus, well, I hope I'm a little bit better than my brother Glenn. <laughs> he, 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 he's, a, he's, he's a bit slower. 
but uh, he's still oh, speaks well, well. well. Yeah, well, mate, he tells me he's into his karaoke and sings like Michael Bublé. I've got now, no, mate. I've got, you've <laughs> got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if it was Glenn, he'd like to think he was uh, pretty good. I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. where did all that come from, mate? I think your dad was uh, uh, like a school teacher and a headmaster, wasn't he? So he's probably drilling into you from a young age to to speak well. Oh, well, yeah, my father, yes, was a headmaster for all of his teaching life, went out to one teacher's school. So, uh, but, you know, for your listeners, I was a bad stutterer at the age of about 12. I was head boy at primary school. A lot of mates said that I was only head boy because my father was the headmaster. <laughs> but, you know, the number one fear for mankind is, uh, you know, is public speaking. Mm. But through a lovely teacher in grade six, Mrs. Gooden, um, she was our music teacher as well as grade six, and she was able to get me to take a couple of deep breaths, and we had to get up and read passages in those days, and every blinking passage started with the, mm. and I, I go, the, 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 you know, so my nickname was Gatling Gun, <laughs> most Jeez. Aussies would take the mickey out of you when you're not going too good, yes. but was gradually able to overcome that, and uh, yeah, I've never had a a problem with public speaking. I'm not only head boy at primary school, but head boy at high school, and then uh, president of the student guild. I became a teacher. I only ever wanted to be a primary school teacher. Mm. And my brother Don uh, is still teaching, and my sister became a teacher. So teaching is uh, is a part of the Hughes family. And uh, also with Glenn being a cricket coach as well. Yes, that's exactly right, Glenn. Well, you know, he's a sort of uh, late birthday, and in those days you went in the year you took, you turned six, I was a January birthday, and so was my sister, so it gave us a huge advantage. I know my mother, uh, Ruthie, wasn't too keen for Glenn to go to school, but, you know, Glenn just wasn't interested in school, really, and he left, you know, I'm pretty sure, in year 10, mm. so about 15 or so. Um, but he's done very, very well, and I'm very, very proud of him uh, and having a fantastic... Been down in Tassie for a number of years now, but uh, it has done really, really well, yeah. And he's supported the Cascade Brewery pretty well too, I reckon. Sorry, what was that again? <laughs> he supported the Cascade Brewery pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, over the journey, but a uh, very good man, and... Um, Mate, uh, interesting to sort of, uh, you know, know a bit about your own journey. Um, uh, you, were, you were head boy in primary school and, and high school. How did that come about? Was that basically primarily through sport? Um, most probably because I was academically just average, you, you know. Uh, I wasn't certainly uh, well, well above average. But I suppose, um, you know, uh, my, my, my mates in the class were, were sort of, you know, happy for me to, to sort of become the head boy and then at teacher's training college, maybe I was the only one prepared to put my hand up or be nominated, no one else wanted to do it. Mm. But, uh, you, you know, I've had leadership roles, I suppose, through most of my life and uh, it's never bothered me about getting up and saying a few words. And my, my, my father was a very, very good orator mm. as, uh, as well. Yes, yeah. No doubt, mate, and um, certainly, uh, you know, having that sort of, uh, that mindset of, as a young fellow that you wanted to pursue a career like that, you know, is is quite rare, sort of knowing that early on, but 
probably more importantly, um, cricket was probably uh, in the background as well, and that you were you were starting to sort of make some uh, some ground there as a young fella moving through the ranks as well. Yeah, well, exactly. But look, uh, my cricket really started up in Geraldton, and uh, I can still remember my father. Um, you know, when I was in about grade seven, he wouldn't let me play for the school because I was dominating. He made me play in the under 16s, which we played on Malfoy, mm. um, which was a true surface. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, if you didn't play sport, you went to the library. Yeah. And I can <laughs> yeah. tell you, Aaron, I wasn't too keen on the library. That wasn't <laughs> the goer for me. Yeah. I wanted to get out. And so, like most kids in the bush, you, you played cricket, footy, tennis, hockey. I played all of those games simply because that's where your mates were. And as soon as you, you, you got home and had your afternoon tea, whatever it was, peanut paste and veggie, right on toast, you'd get out and uh, the only time you came back was when it got dark and then you were having ha- having dinner and, uh, and then to bed. So it was a, a very typical um, sort of upbringing. But all along, all I ever wanted to be was a, a primary school teacher like my father. It was sort of, I suppose, part of our genes, if you like. Um, and uh, I graduated through uh, Greylands, that's Teachers Training College, not Neville Hospital, although some people would, <laughs> would doubt some of the times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I only ever wanted to be a primary school teacher and um, didn't do a lot of it because, you know, at that stage, my cricket started to take off. Mm, and, and what did that look like for you, like, as a young fellow? You were obviously making good scores uh, coming through your teenage years. Oh, yes. Look, I, uh, through God-given talent and, and hard work, um, I, I played A-grade cricket at the age of 15. Mm. But I, I'm a great believer, Aaron, in the word serendipity, a fortunate accident. Mm. And I had never had any coaching. I... In cricket, I read a book on how to play cricket by Sir Donald Rabin, hit a ball on the string, mm. that type of thing, and went down to the local park in Floriet, one of the suburbs here in Perth, and saw a guy throwing some cricket balls to his sons. And uh, anyway, I foxed them. At the end of the session, his name was Frank Parry, and he brought me in and said, what's your name? I said, Kim Hughes, where are you from? I said, Geraldton, just came down to Perth. And he said, do you like cricket? And I said, yep. And he said, well, you'll be here next Sunday and we'll give you a hit with his two sons, Jeff and uh, Frank. And Jeff is now on the, I think it's with Channel 7, uh, with news reporting and has been for many, many years. Mm. And off we went. And uh, he's had a, an, an incredible influence uh, on my career and uh, on my outlook on life. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm actually convinced that without the Frank Parry, I could have been, should have been, would have been, but well, I don't think I, I would have been one of those boys with lots of talent but never really made it. Mm, that's well said, mate. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, you know, that guy sort of appeared uh, in your life at the right time. And obviously that guidance was uh, what sort of catapulted you to where you needed to go, I guess. And it's amazing. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, and, and particularly for your listeners, oh, look, I did very well in my first year. So I was 15, year 10 in those days. Uh, and then in the sixth, when I was 16, year 11, second last year of high school, I developed the second year blues. And, you know, my basics and the basics today still in, in batting, you watch it hit it, be positive. Mm. But there's a very scary word called but. And a lot of workplaces use it. Oh, look, you know, we or you did really well, but. 
Mm. And then they seem to tell you, great delight, how you messed up. So I go along to training, and a lot of advice is meant well. Sometimes it can be a distraction. So I go along to, um, to practice, and look, um, the senior players would say, look, um, you did really well last year, but, you know, they know who you are this year, they're going to work you out, mm. uh, this and that. And, in other words, life's full of gremlins, and there's a great uh, principle called the law of attraction. And if you've got shit thinking, guess what you attract? Yes. Shit. Yes. So I was looking, you know, and I made about two or three low scores in a row. And, uh, and because I was looking at the scoreboard, you know, I was beginning to think, well, maybe I'm not, not cut out to be a cricketer. Maybe I'll go this or do that. Or, and we'd always practice on a Sunday. And there's a, another great saying, you cannot consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with how you perceive yourself. And because I was looking at the scoreboard, I was thinking I was a loser. Yes. So I'd sit at the dinner table, and Dad was never one, he gave us other things, but he was never one to watch or kick a footy or throw a cricket ball to us. He said, how'd you go today, son? I said, oh, Dad, another fight. He said, Jesus, what are you doing wrong? And anyway, uh, but at about 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday, Frank would ring up. He always called me champ. He said, champ, how you feeling? And I said, well, you know, Frankie, I'm a bit frustrated, angry. Last year I was killing them. This year I can't hit it off the square. Mm. He said, I want you to listen to me really carefully. I said, yeah, okay, what is it? I was getting a bit impatient. He said, listen, your elbow's beautiful, footwork marvellous. Matter of fact, it's the best-made duck of all time. Mm. And I said, really? He said, yep, there's only you and Bradman. The rest can't bat. And I'd say, well, just tell me again how good it was. He said, you were beautiful today, champ. Love you, proud of you, all this sort of positive stuff. Mm. So when I got off that phone, if we'd had lights down at Borriot Oval, where we'd practice that night, I would have been down there. So I got back to the dinner table in front of my father, you know, and Dad would say, well, what does a great coach think? And I'd say, well, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but Frankie reckons the best mate duck of all time. Mm-hmm. And there's only me and Bradman. The rest can't bat. And my father said, as you would say, well, you're both idiots. <laughs> uh, you know, how can you be successful when you're failing? Mm. Uh, but, you know, I never missed training. I was there nice and early. And the tremendously exciting thing for people in Australia is if you want to be ahead of 80 to 83% of a population, all you've got to do is three things. Pitch up, on time, and with the right attitude. Mm. And you'll kill them. And I look back now as an older person, I'm now 68, um, you know, that, in, that sort of affirmation was just priceless. Mm. Uh, it got me back down there at practice and, and off we'd go again because he always got me to focus on what I did well first. And I've always felt like a winner. Mm. And even though there are plenty of times when you make mistakes, told you're not good enough, make errors, you get setbacks, but um, if you've got that winning attitude, that positive attitude, it's amazing how many so-called lucky breaks come your way. So Frank Perry lives through me, and Frank wasn't a credited coach or anything like that. He was just a person that believed in me, and we developed a fantastic and an everlasting relationship. And isn't it amazing, like what you said there, because primarily it's so important that uh, someone gives you positive feedback early on, because primarily what happens is we, we're quick to go to the negative, and that can really, you know, hit the heart oh. really quickly, can't it? it? Well, it can, and the thing would happen is 
your peers can exert so much pressure. Australians love you get ahead, but not ahead of them. And it can be the tall poppy syndrome. And I can remember, say, on a Friday night when I was 16, my mates would ring up and say, Husey, uh, what are you doing tonight? I say, oh, well, I've got a game tomorrow and I want to do well. I want to get to bed early. And they say, oh, well, why don't you come out with us? Like, well, we're going to go out and have a few drinks or do whatever. And I'd say, oh, no, no. Oh, well, you've changed. Mm. You're no longer like us. And it can be a very, very strong and powerful emotion, particularly for boys and or young adults, male and female, when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, of being said by the mates that you're different, that, that you're a little bit different, you know. And, I, and then they'd say, well, how did you, how did you go last week? I said, oh, well, I, I failed again. They said, well, you may as well come out and get pissed with us. You can't do any worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, I look back at it and... Uh, if I'd gone out with those uh, guys, who meant well, uh, they wanted me to be part of the team, yet I most probably would have been, could have been, should have been, whatever it is. Mm. But because I had a Frank Perry there, I was able to think, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to hang in here until things turn around or change. And without a Frank Perry, uh, who knows where I would have ended up. Do you know what, mate? The, the, there's a line in the sand moment that, that come to me there. Um, <clears throat> when I was a 15 or 16-year-old, uh, I was playing A-grade over in Minyip. Uh, I played cricket in the morning and, um, and, uh, and played in the afternoon with the men. And, um, yep. and I, it was 46 degrees without the, world, without the word of a lie. And I was dehydrated. I was fielding and um, the ball got smacked to me and... Uh, Basically, it went straight between my hands, hit me between the eyes, and I got criticism for that. And, um, you know, that criticism yep. stayed with me for a long time after that day. Well, it, it, it absolutely. Now, you know, um, if I didn't have that Frank Parry, uh, who, who knows? And, and everybody needs someone or, you know, uh, because it's not easy changing Mm. Um, being a little bit different. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that we'll get into that more as we go yeah. along through the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Just on uh, what we did after that game as a 15 and 16 year old was go to the Minyip pub and, um, and uh, drown our sorrows. And, and uh, you know, being a young boy, that, uh, that probably wasn't the best thing uh, to, to do, but that's what you did back then, I guess. Well, it was. You know, it was a drinking culture, uh, because that's what blokes did, you know, and I was playing with men from the age of 15, and I needed to get a lift to get home, um, so I, you know, and in between, on a say, Thursday night, um, after practice, we'd have to come past the local pub, mm. and the team would sort of stop in there and sing a few songs up on stage, and I'd be up there with them, mm. uh, and then you'd have a few drinks, and drinking was a part of you, you, the culture from a young age, you, you know, now it was, there were virtually no drugs at all like there are today, mm. um, but drinking was a part of it, and as it went on, as you got older, if you said to your mate, oh, let's have a cup of coffee, you'd look at him and think, geez, he's a bit strange, yes. or a bit different, but you'd say, well, I'll meet you down the pub, you know, and we'll, we, we'll have a chat down there. So, yeah, drinking was a part of 
uh, it, most people's culture, uh, and particularly for blokes, and especially for someone that was quite young, uh, with older uh, guys around all the time. Um, so it sort of gets ingrained into you, if you like. Mm. Um, yeah. Absolutely, it, it does, that's right. And yeah, we'll talk about that uh, in detail as we go, but yeah, it's certainly a hard thing to shake when it's sort of uh, brought into your game early while your brain's still developing, I guess, too. Well, well, yes, particularly, and even when I started to play shield cricket at the age of 21 or so, um, you know, at the end of each day's play, what would happen is that the um, that the uh, team that was batting would grab a few drinks and then you'd go into the fielding side and you'd sit around and ha- have a few drinks. Uh, I tell you how society's changed these days. I mean, if an athlete has played his sport or whatever, he puts himself in an ice bath. Well, the only thing we put in the ice was the grog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and the 12th man just got an A-grade rating as long as he had the, 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 the grog cold. Yes. Put it on ice and, uh, you know, you'd have a couple uh, at the end of each day's play and then you'd go to your hotel or wherever it was and you'd have a few more with your mates and that was just the way it went. Yes, absolutely, mate. No, I agree. It was a... It was a great, great moment in time, um, you know, coming through all that too. But uh, it's interesting with your career, career uh, what was it like for you when you actually first made it, like when you actually first got your, um, you know, your original Shield game and sort of how long did it take you to sort of really start to submit yourself as a player? Well, you know, I was 12th man for Western Australia for, and in those days, you couldn't play club cricket if, you know, if club cricket was two-day fixtures so if you played a shield game and missed one week you'd miss the next week so I didn't play cricket for six or seven weeks mm. so I just graduated from Greylands Teachers Training College and having played a game of cricket for Western Australia I was 12th man so I decided to move to South Australia got a teaching appointment over there and taught at Lindland Park Primary School I went over there and had my 21st birthday which is on Australia Day uh, and I very, very jokingly say, well, that's why we have Australia Day, <laughs> albeit that, you know, uh, it's one of our great national days. And for those that don't like it, well, that's fine, but leave us alone and you have yours on your day. Mm. Um, so uh, I taught it, as I said, over there in a, at a primary school and then finished that at the end of, I suppose, end of the cricket season and uh, came back home and... Um, you know, I uh, then, because with the teaching department, they wanted to send me to the country. And, I, of course, I wasn't going to be able to play shield cricket from the bush. So I did phys ed, um, which was, in those days, mate, you know, a pair of shorts, good set of legs, and off you went. Uh, I was at Norville Senior High School. Um, and for a period of time, and then I went over to, to Scotland. So uh, I never really went back to teaching again, uh, but uh, you know, came back home, went to Scotland, and then um, played up there at uh, what was called the George Watson's College. I was the teacher there and played for the Watsonians, what's called an FP club, mm. and it was, that was in 1975. And um, you know, was just starting to make my way and came back from there. We had a, a marvelous summer. And that's when the West Indies were just starting to really get on their pomp and 
Tony Gregg made that great comment, we're going to make him grovel. Well, Michael Holding and Andy Roberts and Bib Richards and these sorts of blokes certainly made England uh, grovel. Uh, but then I came back to Western Australia and that's when I got my opportunity to play for WA and scored a, a century on my debut against New South Wales. Uh, and I was very fortunate that Neil Harvey, uh, was an, one of the national selectors, was there. And he saw me and... Um, he was able to say, look, this kid can play. And I was then got into the Australian side as 12th man for my uh, first Australian um, uh, effort. Uh, and uh, it was at the MCG. And, oh, God, I was that excited that just wanted to get out there. And we were playing Pakistan. Someone got injured. And I went onto the ground. And then it was late in the afternoon. And it's only the great Dennis Lilly could do. Uh, he's, he, he pushed off the side screen just to get the crowd excited and mushed up Muhammad. Uh, as Dennis ran in and the, the crowd was chanting, kill, kill, kill. His eyes got wider and wider and I was at mid-off. And the crowd's noise was such, you just wanted to run through brick walls. You, you were going to feel no pain. And uh, Dennis got mushed back. He didn't even wait for the decision. He wanted to get out of there. But I was that desperate. I died for a ball and injured my shoulders. Had to go off. So it wasn't the greatest debut of, uh, of all. But that was in 1977. Mate, um, look, I was four. I don't know you. 1977, I was five. So I might have been watching that. But I was six, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but, mate, uh, look, just, just Dennis Lilly, like, how the hell... You know, what was it like to, to play with a guy like that as a young fella? Well, you, you know, it's sort of, we had Graham McKenzie as our first regular West Australian to play test cricket, and he got treated diabolically. Mm. Um, you know, a few short of Richie Beno's uh, record at that stage, and then wasn't picked again. Mm. But Dennis and Rod really put Western Australia on the map as far as cricket was concerned. And in those days, Aaron... Um, all the test players would play in the Shield competition. So when you went out there, you were facing against, uh, well, at one stage, Joel Garner played for South Australia. Michael Holden was down in Tasmania. You had Imran Khan in New South Wales. Uh, we had Lily and Alderman. You had Carl Rackman and McDermott. Uh, people like that. Jeff Thompson up in Queensland. So if you got 100 in Shield cricket, you were doing really well. Mm. Um, and, and it was a it was a tough environment, but you you learnt uh, pretty quickly. It was pretty could be pretty brutal, um, but yeah, and, and, and you enjoyed it. You were and particularly in Western Australia. At one stage, we had seven out of the eleven uh, in the Australian side playing mm. for Australia. You know, uh, it was Dennis and Rod, but Bruce Yardley, Bruce Laird, Graham Wood. Um, and, and myself um, so yeah Terry Alderman another one and we allowed a couple of scrubbers called Jeff Thompson and Alan Border to play with us but you know uh, they were great days and memorable days playing shield cricket mm, amazing mate um, like you would have uh, you would have been uh, putting the beer on ice in that game in Melbourne uh, as 12 man but how long did it actually um, take you to get a game after that? Well, after that, uh, we went to New Zealand um, and uh, 
So we pay back, and, and I was a pretty lucky girl. I was one of the lucky sort of like, I was the only time this happened in his cricket. Uh, he did health, and he said, Captain from New Zealand, the Greek, um, one week ran past the calling or call. And I've always been a hits call over, and I still remember the calling rolling along and looking at him, and just kind of pulling his hand, and I put it over to him. So I found him around like a, you know, like a porcupine planning, you know, this and that. And so I thought that was bad, man, and actually, because it's one of those tickets where I'm going, mate, if you want the pass, you put it there, you're going to win the game. Uh, we came back uh, from that and at the centenary test, which I didn't play in, David Hooks had been scoring a tremendous amount of runs as a first-action game, where we beat England, and they played an amazing innings. David Hooks hit Tony Brook up into a five or six consecutive fours. Sorry, Kim, the, the um, reception wasn't too good there. So, so with regards Welcome. to um, like that, that sort of graduation into getting your first game, um, what did it look like, um, you know, sort of getting close to, to your first match as a player? Well, it was obviously tremendously exciting, especially as my debut, albeit as 12th man, was at the MCG, which was for a West Australian, is the home of sport, you know, where you're, you're great... Footballers would go over to Victoria and play for Geelong or whoever the side was. Um, so it was tremendously exciting, albeit that I was only 12th man, but you were um, involved in it. And um, yeah, it was just a well, just an incredible experience that I'll never forget, albeit that you know you can't do much as 12th man. Mm, mm, amazing, mate. So your first, your first game as a player... How did you perform that, that, that game? Did you get two hits or was it just a one-innings match? Well, so we played against England and that was when World Series was just being formed and I wasn't involved. I was still a very, very young boy, but I didn't know anything about it at that stage and I was pretty frustrated on that tour because I got about three 90s in a row in county, against the county sides and couldn't still get into the team. And I remember John Arlett, Richie Robinson got a game as an opener. I think um, I think Bruce Laird or one of our openers might have been injured. And John Arlett, with that beautiful voice, came on and said, uh, Richie Robinson's batting today gives all village green cricketers some hope of playing test cricket. <laughs> I've always remembered it. But uh, I got my, my first game was um, at, uh, against England at the Oval. And uh, I got caught in a bat pad off Derek Underwood, I think it was. Tony Allen Knott was behind the stumps. So I got a good-looking duck. Mm. But that was... Uh, I didn't bother the score, <laughs> scorers at all. But uh, the series, that series finished, which wasn't a happy series. Um, you know, we were well and truly beaten. But I didn't realise, you know, what was going on behind the scenes. And then, of course, World Series cricket happened. Mm, amazing. Tell me, mate, um, uh, with regards to, you know, playing at that level, like, um, what, who was coaching then, Bob Simpson, and, and what was the feedback like for you after you'd made a duck? Well, there was no feedback. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't have a coach at that stage. Jeez. You had a manager, you had a baggage manager, and you had an assistant manager. Um, but there was no, uh, okay. no coach as such. And, mm. And honestly, Aaron, in this day and age, 
Um, it, it doesn't matter whether, particularly, uh, you know, the professional sports, Aussie rules football or, well, I can only talk for exclusive Aussie rules footy and then with cricket. There, there's too much fluff. Mm. You, you know, bowlers bowl top of off stump. Mm. Uh, batsmen watch it, hit it and be positive. Mm. Um, the great Alan Jeans used to say in football, they've got it, we've got it, it's in dispute. And, and, and the rest doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. And um, there, there's a great saying, 10 words, two letters in each word. If it is to be, it is up to me. Yeah, yes. You cross the line, not the coaches. Yes. And, and I think that's where a really good coach, I mean, at that elite level, most of the players would have their own coaches they've had or mentors. Uh, and then with technology, with videos or Zoom or whatever it is, uh, they can have a look at see how you're going. But, um, yeah, I just think we've gone overboard. Too much money is spent, wasted, mm. on people that really don't need to be there. Mm. Let the players get on with the game. They cross the line. And I think that's the art of good coaching. Yes, and I think Rich Charlesworth said to me one of the greatest quotes, uh, and for our listeners out there, as a coach, you comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. <laughs> so in other words, you know, um, you put your arm around someone if they're not going too good and say, come on, champ, you can do this, you can do that or whatever it is. Um, and then you trouble the comfortable. So in other words, you, you never play the perfect game. You're yes. always looking for that little one percenter that keeps you ahead of the pack. And I think it's one of the greatest sayings that I've ever um, heard, comfort mm -hmm. the troubled, and trouble the comfortable. comfortable. Yes. Yeah, well, maybe we need to trouble the comfortable at the moment because they're making the wrong decisions about our lives. <laughs> in yeah. Anyway, so well, yeah. 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 That's, that, that's um, well, it's interesting. You, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the former New, uh, New Zealand wicketkeeper that's now coach of England, McCullum, Brendan McCullum. Oh, yeah. Yep and Stokes as the captain. And, and guess what? McCullum has really bought into the team something earth-shattering like, we're, boys, we just want to have fun. Mm. We want to go out there and play it as you were as a young bloke. Get out there, see ball, hit ball, bowl top of off stump, enjoy what you're doing. And there's no doubt that someone like a Bearstow who's having a blinder, incredible run, and with Stokes there, they've gone back to basics. Yes. You know, just pitch up, and at that level, they've all got talent. Uh, just enjoy it. Enjoy it as you were as a young kid. Have fun. Now, it's not rocket science. And as I said before, too much fluff. Just let the players get on with the job. Yeah. They're the blokes who are getting paid the money. They've got to work it out. And um, it, they're pretty simple games when the players play it well. And we, yeah, you're right, we overanalyze, we overthink it. It's the same in the workplace, isn't it, really? Like, we've just got too many people doing, uh, doing things which take away from the core of, uh, of getting the job done at the end of the day, I guess. Well, they, they do. I mean, 90 to 93% effectiveness is the tone of your voice and your body language. Yes. So why would you master emails? Mm. It's just an excuse. Now, emails are important. They absolutely are, but... More important is for a boss or a team to just knock on the door and say, G'day, yes. how you going? Yep. What are you doing? How was your weekend? Uh, how are the kids? How's your partner? Um, so, yeah, I am a bit old-fashioned, but the basics 
don't change. And those people that work well in the workforce are those people that will say good day, how you going, smile on your dial, ready to rock and roll, and pitch up on time. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, we've become dehumanised in many ways, haven't we? And uh, um, it's oh, a, well, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's too. It's easy to hide. You can hide behind an email. Yes. You, you know, and at twenty-five emails later, you got to the. Well, why wouldn't you just get someone to ring up and say, mate, what do you want? Okay, well, you need this. Okay, well, look, based upon our conversation, uh, I'll send you an email. Rather <laughs> yeah. than you email there and you email back and that, oh, but it's a, anyway, it a gets, of, uh, it does my head in. A lot of mucking around. <laughs> mate, um, who were some of the most influential people for you as a cricketer coming through, players and, and people around the game? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, Frank Parry was the most influential. Um, you know, when I was captain, I know I had tremendous support from, from Alan Border. Um, so, uh, but also, you know, Rob Marsh, in a way, uh, John Inbert in their own ways. Um, but I came up in a great era of West Australian cricket where Bruce Yardley was a character, Mick Malone. Was, 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 and I made my debut with Mick. Now, then he then went to World Series cricket. Um, so, uh, it, once you got to that level, uh, it was more about the camaraderie, uh, but certainly Rod was one that you could go and bounce a few ideas off. Mm. Uh, but, you, you know, it, it's really up to you to get it sorted out, but certainly Frank Parry's ethos and teaching and positive attitude was something that was the most important thing to, for me. Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. Is Frank still alive? No, no, he's passed on mm. uh, a number of years ago now. Uh, but I can, you know, I was pretty impetuous as a young boy. You know, that's the beauty about youth. Mm. And I can remember there was Rod and John and Brody, one of, and Ian Brayshaw was another fantastic influencer. And they brought me in and said, look, Yuzi, we need to have a chat to you. You're getting out too many times at 30 or 40 or 50. Mm. You know, we want you to think about batting for four hours. Now, as a young bloke, I couldn't see four seconds <laughs> in yeah. front of me. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going, yeah, 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 for about 15 or 20 minutes. Anyway, they said, okay, well, that's it, Yuzi. And as I walked out the door, they said, now, how many are you going to be after four hours? And I said, 400. And walked <laughs> out the door. <laughs> and they thought, we got an absolute idiot here. <laughs> um, but what I did learn, I wish I'd learned a little bit earlier, was that everybody panics. The key is to panic last. Yeah. Now, my basics were you watch it, hit it, and be positive. And you need to develop what I call a shit bin. Excuse the language, but a shit bin for shit thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So what would happen is if I got to 35 or 37, because 100 was a long, long way away, um, I'd be thinking, oh, geez, I should have been back for a four or we've got five minutes to go before lunch or drinks or tea or whatever it is. And that's a shit thought. Yes. So what I'd do, I'd walk away, take a deep breath, put it in that shit bin, and what I have to do now is watch it, hit it, and be positive. And I'd say, well, okay, I'm on 35, I'm on five. Let's mm. get to 10. Mm. Just out of reach, not out of sight. And I've applied that principle with my rehab as far as uh, staying away from alcohol. Mm, amazing, mate. To have that sort of insight as a young fella, you know, is a, is a real credit to you. And that's one thing, you know, you talk about the human mind and that, like 
I was really anxious as a young fella and, and I'd, I'd be thinking about what was going on after the game before the game was played, you know. Like when, when you're out there batting and you get to 10 or 20, like I'd, I was thinking what it was going to be like when I'd made 100. And, um, and that, that, anxiety, yeah. that anxiety actually stayed with me a lot of my life, uh, pretty much. And, and that was something which was probably not even thought of back then. Well, well, it wasn't, you, you know, uh, it was a sort of old toughen up princess. Mm. You know, what are you doing? Uh, tell someone who cares. Um, but I, I, I realised that later, you, you know, uh, in my cricketing career. I wish I'd got it a bit earlier. But, um, yeah, you, you know, and I think you can play. I, I look, for people in the working environment, your basics are to be positive, be on time. There's only about three or four basics and when these other distractions come in um you you know uh you, you just need to move away and put that shit thought and then get back on track again and that's why i gave the australian cricket captaincy away because uh, coach had always said the day you're no longer having fun in what you're doing give it away yeah and i I just wasn't having fun. I, we were constantly playing the West Indies. I think my last 17 or 18 innings were against them. Mm. Uh, and constant speculation from the media, all that sort of thing. And I had no more petrol left at the tank. Yeah. And so I resigned up in uh, Brisbane because I just wasn't enjoying it. It was really getting me down. Now, I was only 30 or 31, I think, and then Alan Border took over. Mate, uh, what was that like for you? Like, we'll talk about mental health primarily as it as it stood back then. But you would have copped a fair bit of shit and, and people's opinions and judgments and all that. What did that do for you at, at the time uh, when that all sort of went on? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we came back after World Series cricket was there, and thank goodness World Series cricket came along. As far as players' payments were concerned, they got paid absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, I always remember another quote by Alan Jeans. I, I spent 15 or so years working with Ken Judge. Mm. Uh, got a, a VFL, AFL, West Australian yeah. football background and a coach of the Eagles. Yeah. And he would quote Alan Jeans a lot because Ken played in that great era. Mm. And uh, one of his great comments was, I, I don't ask you to like me, but I do expect you to respect the position I hold. Mm. Now, I, I, was, I came back from India as I was the second youngest player ever to captain our country, and we went there for 11 weeks. Now, we had a manager. We had a guy, Frank Hennessy, that sort of looked after the physio side of things, but he came from a background like a lawnmower, you know, and one of the bowling greens in Sydney somewhere, mm. and that was it. Uh, now, 11 weeks. Now, I, I scored the most number of runs that any Australians ever scored on a tour of India. It was a tremendous eye-opener. The greatest education of all is travel. And if you want to know how lucky you are in Australia, you travel anywhere else in the world, but certainly from West Australia's point of view, I can walk out here and we've got fresh air, fresh ocean, people are looking for work, uh, workers, you know, we, we just sometimes take things for granted, but it's not until you do travel mm. that you realise just what a lucky country we are in. Mm. That's true, mate. And, yeah, getting back to the basics of just what you said there because we're getting uh, too caught up in other stuff which is taking us away from the actual uh, 
the truth and the joy of life, I guess, uh, as well. And uh, it's not till you go to a place like that, which I've been to, you actually realise people over there are quite happy, you know, with little, but they're actually, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not chasing stuff like we are here, which can sometimes make us miserable as well. Well, you, you, you don't realise how lucky you are until you go away. Now, you know, as I was a bad stutterer. I broke my C2 vertebra at the age of 18 at Teachers Training College in an accident. I spent four months in rehab with a brace up over a pulley system, couldn't move. Um, and I look back at it now, and what was perceived as a disadvantage to start ended up being tremendous advantage. Yes. Now, I, with a broken C2 vertebra, you're either dead or you're quadriplegic. So I was lucky and never had a problem with my neck ever again. Um, and some, And then going to India, uh, and when I broke my neck, I was only 18, went to India at 24, and, and you do see some sights there, and you almost get not oblivious, you've got to block it out almost, because there are some horrendous things that we would never see, or, you know, you know but you come home, and you're thinking, hallelujah. Now, I don't go to church, but I do believe there's a bloke up there, and if you do the right thing long enough and often enough, you get these so-called lucky breaks. <laughs> um, so at a very young age, I knew what it was like by travelling India, and we went everywhere. You, you know, uh, we did stay in five-star accommodation. I'll tell you what the five-star was, Aaron. You lay in your bed, and you could see all five stars through the roof <laughs> yeah. because there was no roof <laughs> yeah. in some of the places. Yes. Whereas now... The players are looked after unbelievably well, yeah. and they do stay in five, six, seven-star places mm. in India or Pakistan, you know. And I, I think that can, you know, um, well, to me, I, I'm so pleased I went through that. And we could go through the whole length and breadth of India, and you would come away from that, and you think, God, gee, how do they manage? Yeah. How do they go from day to day? They're not talking about whether they've got a car or their kids are going to uni or they've got this choice for a job or that sort of thing. They're just trying to, you know, put a bit of food in their mouth and, and look after the family. Uh, it's a real eye-opener. I'm so pleased to have gone there as it's a wonderful country rich in history. Yes, absolutely, mate. And simplicity really, isn't it? That uh, they're just worried about getting through the day. You're not worried about, you know, uh, next week or next year or whatever or how much money you got in the bank. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Mate, um, we better start talking a bit about um, about the the, the, the the drinking culture and sort of how that sort of progressed through our lives. And, uh, you know, I'd imagine as a young fellow sort of coming into the cricket scene, it was pretty much... Uh, uh, part of your journey through your 20s, 30s and beyond? Yes. Look, it, it, it was. Uh, and look, in a, in a nutshell, it was just part of cult, my culture. Uh, my then wife, Jenny, and I, I can still remember, I can take you back to the school where I first saw her. Mm. And it was love at first sight. And we had, we've got four beautiful children. We had twin boys. Um, I can remember... I dashed back from Victoria to hopefully see them being born. <laughs> uh, missed that, uh, and they were in a humid crib. So then I had to fly back midnight that night, uh, midnight horror, back to Melbourne to play in a one-day game the next day. So I got a, I got a good-looking, oh, you know, I got an applause 
you know, for walking up the ground, uh, having been the father of twins, I was at the non-strikers then, I wasn't quite switched on, Graham Wood was batting, who, I always ran well with Woody, but I just wasn't with it. Hit one the back point, backward point, and I got run out, without facing the ball. Jeez. And got a standing ovation again as I walked off. So I got two standing ovations that did nothing. But, um, <laughs> look, uh, you know, the drinking, and then I've been in corporate speaking, for many, many years with Ken Church and other things. Okay, mate, so public speaking? Yes, yeah, with, and the Jinj comes through with his tradie gear. And I thought, well, this is a few stations above the Jinj's environment sort of thing. And anyway, the three of them sat down and uh, I said, okay, so what's happening? And in a nutshell, Bradley said, listen, Dad, you're a dickhead. Excuse the language, but that's what it was. You know, you, you drive to the Marmion Angling Club where I was a member, maybe over the limit, you drive back, certainly over the limit, you could injure yourself, worse, kill somebody else, do something about it. And sometimes you just do need a dear Dorothy Dixon, mm-hmm. which I got. And Richard then, uh, through a doctor, um, they then got me into a place called Abbotsford Rehab, and I was there for two weeks, which was an eye-opener, in that there were a lot of younger ones there. So I had the alcohol addiction. Mm. Um, and a lot of the young ones there, especially the young girls, etc., uh, you know, in their early 20s to 30s, um, had various drug challenges. Mm. And uh, so I spent two weeks there, and then MH Connect, send a bloke or had a bloke called Gary Anderson that would come out and see me over a four or five month period, uh, you know, and really get into the nitty gritty of where I'd been, where I was and what I need to do going forward. Mm. And um, I'm absolutely convinced if there's anybody out there that needs to change, you can't do it by yourself. Mm. It, it's impossible. I had that support from... Uh, family and the, and the Mount Lawley Golf Club and I've applied a few of the things I learned from cricket into why I've changed and um, and one of one of the particular ones is that if someone said look you, you know I want you to go without drinking for an, for a year it's too it's a bit like trying to get a hundred mm. it, it's too far away it's very easy then to think oh well just have a couple here and then I'll get back on the wagon so I have an A4 diary Every Friday, I then write down, that's my week. I had 86 weeks last Friday, just out of reach, not out of sight. Mm. Um, I've only ever had one real challenge. I was playing golf a while ago now, Aaron, and uh, pretty hot day. One bike was in a cart. I was pulling my buggy, and there was a crownie, Mm. very cold crown lager on the shelf, and I thought, geez, I wouldn't mind one of those. Mm. But... You know, and that's what I've found has been very helpful of just doing it one week at a time because I could see a week. Um, the only thing is now I end up being an Uber driver for all my pissed mates because <laughs> I'm the only bloke sober. <laughs> I can't believe that that was me back you're, you're, then. You're putting the, um, you're putting the shit and, thoughts in the shit bin. Yeah, exactly. It, honestly, you put the shit thoughts in the shit bin. And I now have a girlfriend who's been fantastic for me for being together for a couple of years reconnected with my children and in the last 15 16 months 
We've had four grandchildren born, three grandsons and a granddaughter. So the COVID period has been a very productive period for the Hughes's. Mm. <laughs> but it gets, it's got to a stage now where if I, I look back where, where I could have ended up. I could have ended up in the street. Yeah. You know, an absolute bum. You know, well, there's the former Australian cricket captain. Have a look at him. What a, what, what, what a complete waste. Mm. Now, you know, uh, and I now look at it, the, the kids want to be around their father and their granddad. Yes, I regret costing my marriage, but, you know, that was me. Mm. Uh, no one else. And for anybody out there that's got challenges, I'd suggest you can't do it by yourself. You're going to need some help and good support. And otherwise, you know, I can, I'd can. i love to maybe leave you with this or whatever it is. That I can remember when I was playing cricket, you know, I was a bit older. I can't remember when I was captain or vice captain. doesn't matter. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to give up the drink. I want to perform well. I'm not going to drink. Mm. And anyway, uh, we were out at a particular function or whatever it is. I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want one. I don't want one. Mm. Anyway, I weakened. And started, got back drinking on that night. Guess what the mate said the next morning? We got you. Yeah. We got you. Who are you trying to kid? You know? And, you know, I've, I've remembered that. I'd forgotten about it, but I remembered it. And it's not easy to change. Yes. And you can't change by yourself. Yes, you do need other people around you. I, we're very fortunate this Gary Anderson through MH Connect. Um, because Australians love you get ahead, but not ahead of them. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not easy. But if you just keep it just out of reach, not out of sight. But, uh, you know, it was reminded me of that thing. We got you. Mm. Yeah, you're back level with us again. And uh, I'd forgotten about that, but someone reminded me. And now I've got, you know, fant and fantastic great mates in the cricket fraternity. And I'm passionate about spreading my message around so that people may draw, whether it's inspiration or or just, yeah, this is a real story. I, I didn't go to, learning, uh, to uni to learn this. Yes. I learned the hard way and it cost me my marriage. Yeah. Yeah, dumb. I, I was the dickhead, yeah. you know, and just fortunate through great mates and a, a, a close family that uh, I've been able to do something about it. And I just keep putting in my diary, this coming Friday, be the 87th week, and I'm on my way to three, four, five hundred. I don't know. I heard it, saw a bloke the other day get 400 in the, <laughs> in for the county cricket or something. I'm going to get a bloody thousand. I might have to live till I'm 110, Aaron. <laughs> the, 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 the competitive spirit will come back. And uh, yeah. it was like you uh, years ago saying to those guys when you walked out of the shed saying, I'm going to get, uh, you, you got four hours, I'm going to get 400. So. You, you've, yeah. got, you've got that ability to be able to stick to what uh, what you believe in, and um, mate, you know, look, I, I think those guys doing that um, to you back then, and unfortunately, it's still uh, common in Australian culture uh, to, yep. deny, to, to deny someone growth, um, which is a real shame. That's why we're having this conversation to try and you know put that to bed. But that happened for a yep. reason because it's actually got you to the point where you are now, and and you know everyone's going to benefit from from your wisdom and your experience but also that moment can actually help um you know inspire and change others to uh, to change their attitude as well well yeah i hope so you know and uh 
I'm passionate about it. Um, and uh, I'm just so pleased that I had some great mates. But at the end of the day, as I said, if it is to be, it is up to me. Yes. You've got to look in the mirror. There's the answer. There's the solution. There's the challenge. There's whatever it is. Yeah, we can blame parents. We can blame this. We can blame that. But uh, if you want to know how lucky you are, visit most other countries in the world, and then you'll find out, Jesus, what a great country we live in. Mm, absolutely agree, mate. Tell me All right. what, what's next for you now. What, uh, what do you plan uh, to do for the rest of this year and beyond uh, to be able to do what you're passionate about? Yeah, well, certainly my corporate speaking, uh, on mental health. Yeah, you know, I'll tell a few cricket stories. I've got lots of them. But I want people to walk away, male or female, with something from my experience that they could put into practice. You know, in their, in their life at home or their attitude to life or their attitude to work or whatever it may be. Uh, because just telling a few cricket stories is a bit shallow. Mm. You know, after a day or two, they've forgotten about it. Yes. Um, and I want to, you know, when I say inspire people, maybe get people to just have a look in the mirror and thinking, Jesus, I, where am I going? What am I doing? Um, I'm better than this. Uh, and don't wait for a train smash. Uh, yes, I had a train smash with my marriage. That was my fault. Mm. Don't, don't blame anybody else. That was me. Mm. Um, but fortunately, it didn't cost me. If I'd kept going down there, the kids wouldn't have wanted to know me. They wouldn't have wanted me to hang around their grandchildren. And I've got more energy and more focus now than I've ever had in my whole life. Mm. And congratulations to your son and, and the other guys for having the courage to come and have a chat for you. And more importantly, yep. you know, you need to congratulate and be proud of yourself for actually taking it on board and not dismissing it. Yeah, that, yeah that's great, Aaron. Any time to help. Okay, pal? Appreciate it, mate.